being the intern pastor here and not knowing everybody uh, for the time being to a new pastor uh, is voted in, are there any guests here today? This is your first time or a long time? Okay. Uh, isn't there something they can fill out? Did you get something to fill out? You did. Okay. All right. So make sure you fill that out. It's nice to have you. Let's welcome our guest today. Praise the Lord. So good to have you. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, we're going to tackle something today that uh, is not uh, um, maybe what you would expect to hear today, but we just, just celebrated Valentine's. And I, I don't know, I, I don't think Valentine's gets, I think it's about, they've made it so commercial with flowers and all kinds of stuff, candy and all that good stuff, which is good. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that, I'm not doing that. But you know that Valentine's Day is a very important day. It really is a very important time because it's, it's a day that the country allows us to celebrate each other as spouses. And uh, so we're gonna talk about marriage today. We're gonna talk about marriage. And gonna kind of bring some value to what we just celebrated for Valentine's, number one. Number two, uh, it's very, 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 very important that you understand what I'm gonna say next. That if we did 30 retreats or more at Calvary over the years I was pastor there at Calvary. We went away for, uh, for 30 weekends uh, altogether to a campsite somewhere and spent three, two or three days together building our marriages up, strengthening our marriages. And one of the things I would make a habit to say, and I want to make sure I say it today, is this. However you walked into this church today, that's where you are. That's where you are. Why I'm saying that is because sometimes when couples would come to the retreat and they had maybe just been remarried, they would feel awkward when we would get up there and talk about uh, how God hates divorce. And they would get, it could become confusing. It's like, oh my goodness, what are we doing here? We are in trouble. We've been marked. All kinds of things to go there. Listen, when we walked in today is where we are. We build from there. We build from there. And we'll talk about that today in, in our message to you. Uh, so uh, I, wanna, I just want to make sure we understood that. And plus, those of you that aren't married, you may someday be. So you can jump in and learn. No, you're shaking your head. No, no, no. Okay. All right. He says no. But just in case you are, this will help you. Plus, you know what? You can also use a lot of this material today in your friends' relationships. There's, some, there's certain things that help build friendships, relationships as well. People that you're good friends with. I think you can apply some of these principles to that. So I, I don't, I, I know there are, are a lot of marriages here and, and there are some that aren't, but don't, don't, don't tune out an ear because what you're going to hear today, you could help somebody else in marriage. Really, really, you could. You could still help somebody who you might know is going through a marital problem. You may not be married, but maybe someone walks up to you and they're sharing something that bothers about the marriage. Let this help you. So uh, be open to everything, and let's let the Lord do something here today concerning our marriages especially, okay? Amen. Now, the book of the Song of Solomon is, is a book that consists of six different poems, if you break it down. And the Hebrew for this title means the greatest song. That's what the Hebrew is for Song of Solomon, is the greatest song. And it's, it's been regarded as the greatest of all wedding songs of all time. So this, this book is like a wedding song for marriages. It also has a spiritual application value to it when it comes to Christ and his bride. So that knowing that we are married to Christ and that we are the body of Christ. So we have this love relationship with Christ and the body. So the principles that we're going to learn here today that affect marriage were also intended that it might affect our relationship with Christ. Our love relationship of being married to Christ. So we draw application to that as well. So the book was written to remind us of the divine origin of the joy and the dignity 
of human love in marriage. If there is a word that is so, has so been misunderstood, misused, and abused, and misconstrued, and taken way off the wrong direction, that wonderful word called sex. And in our home growing up, that was an open subject. I, I pastored our church for 40 years in Dover. It was an open subject in the pulpit on Sunday mornings. It was an open subject at marriage retreats. It was an open subject in our home growing up. Because you want to know why? I'll tell you why. For those who think it's such a dirty thing, ooh, talk about sex. It is a gift from God. God created it. God started it with his couple in the garden has got kind of messed up there for a while and got back on track. But it is a gift and something ordained by God. It isn't God's fault. It isn't the Bible's fault that it has been abused and misused and misunderstood and taken the wrong direction. I'm here today to bring it back to where it belongs, to God. He started it. <laughs> so, although sin has marred this all-important area, God wants us to know that it can be pure, wholesome, and beautiful. And never, say never, never, never to be used as a weapon or a tool to punish your spouse. Never. And yet, with my 48 years of marriage counseling with people in the church and in the community, it was always being used as a weapon. It was that one area I could get him good. So one area I could, I could get her good. Believe me, I could stand up here for hours and tell you the stories. That is wrong. That is against God's plan for our marriages. Some would question of Solomon having 700 wives and 300 concubines. <laughs> Why would I want to listen to him? All right. Well, first of all, you've got to remember who wrote the Bible. Who wrote it? I'll, I'll give you a hint. Who wrote it? <laughs> all right. So God wrote it through King Solomon. Don't forget that. He wrote that through him. Now, the Shulamite maiden that he married in chapter 6, verse 13 of Song of Solomon, the Shulamite maiden was Solomon's first wife from his youth before he was king. Some believe that this is when he wrote it, was before he was king. I'm going to offer another, another reason to think about, though, that this book was written perhaps after he became king, and when he did, he went back, because you remember it was after he became king that he started having all these wives and concubines, remember? that when he did, he went back to the beginning. This book could be written that he now knew the difference from the wrong direction, and he's gone back to his beginning in his thinking, as God is using him to write it, back to the beginning of his first marriage, because he realized what was the best thing. Was that. But he's the one that strayed away. We don't hear about that of the Shulamite lady, maiden he married, but we, we learn that of him. He got distracted. Song of Solomon was actually written as a corrective model in Scripture between two extremes that existed in history at the time this book was written. At the time in the days of Bible days, the abandonment of married love for all kinds of sexual perversion existed. It's just like it is today. It's no different today as it was then. A lot of sexual perversion. So it was written for that reason, the one. Number two, an asceticism offered, uh, often mistaken as the Christian view of sex back in Bible days, that there were those that believed that, that, that denies the goodness and the physical love in, marriage, in the marriage covenant. In other words, the only time you were allowed to have an intimacy with your spouse was only for the purpose of bearing children. Any other time was considered irreligious. Any other time was considered wrong. Any other time was considered not appropriate. It was only for procreation. Only for procreation. Now, 
I want us to think for a moment today, to make a comparison, to bring a spiritual application to this, where we're heading. And do you remember in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, and by the way, you, you have a sheet there to take notes today, and it's all the scriptures written down. If any particular scripture stands out to you, you should circle that scripture so you can go back to it. But we're going to cover all these scriptures today. And uh, there's, there's some key words in here I just want us to remember. So you'll, you'll hear them said today in the message. But you can use the front back side of this to take notes to help you to note something that may stand out to you. But do you remember what Revelation 2.4 said, where Jesus said, you have lost, oh, thank you, my brother, you're so on top of it. You are, how much do you pay this guy? <laughs> he needs a raise. I just, Nevertheless, have, I have this somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Now, Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus. And this was a church that was really, they just didn't come behind in anything. They were on top of things. They were a good, solid, working church, but they had lost their first love. That personal intimacy with God that we're supposed to have every day of our lives amidst all the other stuff we do. And today we live in a time where we're doing all the stuff that we do, and we're not spending intimacy time with God. And that's what he said was happening. You've lost your first love, that first exciting love that you had with me. I fear that what happens is, is that people love each other in their marriages, but, they, but they've strayed from that first love, that exciting love. We're going to talk about that. That's why I've called the message today, The Beginning. I want us to go back to the beginning. Let's, let's pause and, and, and think about the, that one aspect. I know that you know that you love your spouse today, but is it the same exciting love you have today that you had then because of all the stuff. Uh, let me just give you a, a quick example. For instance, how much did you talk? How much did you argue when you dated? How much preparation did you have? Did you have premarital counseling? I have a young lady that come in to see me this week and uh, 15 years now, it looks like their marriage is on the rocks, and I've worked with them before, and they, they stopped coming, but now she's coming back. And uh, how long did you date before you got married? Six months. Did you have any counseling? No. So I'm thinking under my breath, I'm not surprised you're sitting here. It's by the strength and grace of God that people have made it without counseling. <laughs> Especially if you got married that soon. We have a philosophy at Calvary that we wouldn't marry anybody until they had what's called the four seasons dating. Because how your girlfriend or boyfriend acts in the winter versus the spring could be different than summer and different in winter. It can be. If I had time, I would give you an example of what I'm talking about. I saw a couple who couldn't get married. I hadn't been counseling. I was supposed to marry them, and they couldn't decide... I'm honestly not kidding you. They could not decide whose house they were going to see at Christmas time now they were married. Their family or my family. They couldn't make up their mind. Saw them months later. They stopped coming. So, how's it going? We never got married. They couldn't decide where to spend Christmas. I even gave them two suggestions to fix the problem. They couldn't get married because they couldn't decide when they're gonna, where they're going to go for Christmas. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding. Anyway, I, I didn't treat it lightly, but it was sad. that. So four seasons a day, now you get to know what your spouse in the future is like for a whole year. You know what they're like. You know what they act like, what, what they do, what they think, what they believe. You, get to, you, gotta get, you can't get too close too soon. Anyways, how many notes and gifts and letters did you get during your dating years before you got married? How much time did you actually spend together? How often did you date? There's a difference between spending time together and dating. My wife and I still date. 52 years later, we still call it, and we're old-fashioned. We honestly, before God, still call it a date. How affectionate were you, holding hands, arm around each other, embracing each other, opening the doors? How much did you confide with each other? How honest were you with your feelings while dating? 
Did you feel you were very close to each other when you, before you got married? Remember how close you felt? Remember how close you felt to God when you got saved? Were you in agreement financially? Uh, uh, and then, then you ask the same, those same, ask those same questions today. What would be the, the numbers? Would they be higher or lower? Would they be lower or, or in the middle? middle? What would it be? Because I think there's three things that really affect marriages and family life today. Let's include the family on this. I think there's three things. The schedule, our communication, and our handling the finances. And 48 years of experience, those are my experience with thousands of hours of counseling, working with marriages and families for years. I find that those are the top three things that surface. No time together because of schedules, poor communication, and mishandling of finances. Different views on finances. I have written a 40 to 50 page marriage assessment tool and published it. And I'm willing to offer that to the church, but I would need to have you tell me personally so afterwards so that I can talk to the church about getting those made up for you. We make our own booklets and manuals and leadership training manuals. We, we produce our own. I can help you with that. And it could be a, an assessment tool that can actually help you in your marriage or someone you know is in trouble. And we've given many, 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 many of them away. So you let me know if you want one. And I'll walk you through how to use it. Now, do you remember your vows? Think for a moment. Most of you probably had in your vows somewheres, somewheres, this idea. Remember? Say it with me. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and in health. Till what? Death. Death. Say it again. Death. Do us part. Now, while you want to kill each other, that's not the death <laughs> they're talking about. But until death do us part. And... Uh, I can't begin to tell you how many of those promises I've seen broken in my office with couples. I can't begin to tell you how many folks. I ask, what happened to them? Do we remember that we made these commitments actually before God? I know the day of our marriage, we're thinking about the family, we're thinking about our friends, and we're thinking about our spouse-to-be, but we were at the same time these were promises we made to God. And you know what God said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 about making vows? We ain't supposed to break them. We're not supposed to break promises to God. They were a promise. I promise you, Lord, that no matter what happens with, with, be, with my wife, it is for the better, for the richer in sickness and in health, even if things aren't so good. Even if things are a little poor at times. We were poor at times, maybe. Let me tell you, I started off in the ministry at $150 a month, and we had to pay for all of our expenses. We did get a place to live. And uh, it was in the church building. They had an apartment in the church building. And we had to pay for everything. So my wife had to find a job right away. I went to Alabama, Michigan for six years, and I started off at $35 a week with my expenses paid, the house and utilities. You can't spend, uh, buy a lot of, now, nowadays you could buy uh, uh, with $35. Nowadays it would be like uh, a pizza and a cup of coffee or something like that with now prices. I'm exaggerating, but you get my point. But back in that day, $35 a week is what we had to live off. So you know what? She had to get a job at a college and I had to do, to do painting. I'm a professional painter, house painter, building painter. I was raised on, I'm a professional at that. So we got a lot of jobs doing that in the summertime. But folks, it's a promise I made to God that I will take care of my wife. So let's examine our salvation experience again. Remember the joy, the burdens that were lifted, the excitement you had, the time you started spending with God. You started reading the Bible, started praying and digging into him. And you began to tell people what happened in your life and you, you changed and you, 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 you shared about you, you, this clean feeling you had in your heart. And the love that you had. Now think about marriage. As we become one with Christ, I became one with Angela. We became one. 
Now, in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16, it says, My lover is mine, and I am his. You know what that speaks of? It, it speaks of ownership. It speaks of ownership. My lover is mine, and I am his. That's cool. It's an it's a, it's a ownership, and we have to be careful that we understand what that ownership means because it doesn't mean I can over-possess her. It doesn't mean I can be overbearing with her because, hey, if I am his and he is mine, that means she can be overly possessive and overly bearing with me. And when two people are overbearing with each other because they think they can demand for each other because I own you, they have misunderstood what that word means. And now we're going to have conflict. And now we're going to be really in a control issue. Yeah, we're going to be butting heads. That's not how that meant that. I can walk up to her and say, hi, this is Angela. This is my wife. Hi, this is Pastor Kuhn. This is my wife. Husband. When my wife talks to people on the phone, I hear her all the time say this, my husband and I, well, my husband would, and, and it's just like, wow, that is, that's sweet, hon. Well, thank you. She could, she could say anything else. He, well, the pastor, or he would say, no, it's my husband. I love that. That feels belonging. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, not, excuse me, 99, it's right there in front of you. Thank you, my brother, for my water. Enjoy, enjoy, say enjoy, enjoy. life with your wife, life with your wife, whom you love, all the, say it with me, days, days, say it, days of the meaningless life that God has given. Now, I, I want to make something very clear about Ecclesiastes because 31 times you're going to see the word meaningless, all is meaningless, or vanity, all is vanity. You're going to see that 31 times in the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. And it sounds contradictory. Well, why would you say enjoy life with your wife, whom you love all the days of the meaningless life that God has given you? If, it, if it's a meaningless life, then isn't marriage meaningless? Is that what he's saying? And that's not what he's saying. What King Solomon is saying is that for all 31 times that the word meaningless or vanity, all his vanity was used, what was being said was that if you don't have God in your marriage, in God in your vocation, God in your lives, God in your family, then life would be meaningless. But when you have God in your marriage, God in your vocation, God in your family, God in your life, then you have meaning in your life. So even though you see this phrase, meaningless, all that meant was if you don't have God, it is meaningless. But with God, life is meaningful. So all the days of your life, well, let's take a look at that. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Say with me, all, it said all the days. You know what that speaks of? You know, can you imagine that all the days has a meaning? All the days has a very important statement, a very important message. Can you imagine three little words like that in the dictionary? that we would speed read through the Bible and not even pick up what it meant. You know what it spoke of? That marriage was to be of longevity. Enjoy the wife of your life. All the days of your life. Longevity. God always intended that marriage would have longevity. Now, I do feel like I need to pause and say something. I know, and this is a check from the Spirit because I meant to say it probably earlier, so he's bringing it back to me. Listen, there are times when divorce was biblically proper. You need to understand that. And I can biblically, in black and white, show you that. Where the Bible did okay divorce under certain circumstances. You need to know that. And if you don't know that, send me an email and I'll, I'll send it off to you. But on the other hand, you can do your homework and read the Bible and see it right there. You can see it. There are times when it was appropriate. 
But there's too many times today that's happening when it wasn't appropriate. And because of that, some folks get a really negative attitude about divorce because God, God said, I hate divorce. Yeah, he did, but in other places, he said it was okay. The Bible does say that. Jesus even taught there was a place in time. So you have to break it down and make sure you know what the scripture says. And everyone said, Amen. all right, you can, you can shoot me. A, hey, I always told people in church, you can send me a nasty email, but make sure you sign it. Because <laughs> if you don't sign it, I'm not even going to read it. When I would get letters in the church, I'd look to see if they signed it. If they didn't sign it, it went right in the trash can. I didn't have time for that. Because I can't sit down and help you if you're not going to have guts enough to tell me who you are. I can't help you. So, I just want to make that very clear. Because some people feel really guilty if they, well, you know, they come to the couples retreat, they've been divorced, remarried, they feel good, they don't have to feel good if they have a legitimate biblical grounds for the divorce and the remarriage. So, this sounds like this is to be an all-time experience with the same person. It's part of that wedding covenant. Song of Solomon 3.11 says, Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown with which the mother crowned him on the day of his heart. On the day his heart rejoiced. Say rejoiced. The day his heart rejoiced. So I have a simple question. Are you still rejoicing? Now who sits beside you? Who you'll go home with? Who you'll eat with? date with, work with, do projects with, go to bed with, sleep beside, get up in the morning, start the day off anew. Are you still rejoicing whom God gave you? Song of Solomon 8, 10, the last part of that verse says this, I have become his, I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Say contentment. That wasn't very strong. <laughs> I have become in his eyes like one bringing <clears throat> contentment. Speaks, you know what this speaks of? I felt very content to marry my wife years ago, but do I still feel that commitment, contentment today? Well, do you know that this word contentment here speaks of action? It speaks of an action. It speaks of working contentment in your relationship. If my wife and I were having a rough day from separate reasons, or even if it was together, you know what the first question I should ask myself? And I have done this. My wife has a job on the side. She's a health coach. She's got like 30-some people underneath her that she's a health coach for. And she also trains coaches. So she's a coach, a, a mentor, and a health coach. And she's lost over 100 pounds herself. And she's helping men and women in Delaware and across the country to lose weight in this program she's in, that she's a, a, a supervisor in. And uh, so I, I can feel that some days she works morning, noon, and evening, and I can feel the heaviness in her heart trying to keep up with the schedule. So you know what I think about? What can I do to bring contentment? You see... I'm spiritually content. She loves the Lord. She's spiritually content. Spends time with God. We both do. We are into God. And, uh, but the idea of the contentment is, what can I give my wife today that would bring greater contentment? How can I bring contentment to her? What can I do to help her with her schedule? What, well, I keep the house straightened up. I'll do all kinds of things to help her. All kinds of things to help her. I'm, I'm exercising contentment. I'm so content with you, sweetie, that I'm going to help you and I'm going to bring you contentment. That's, this is the ideal of contentment. It wasn't just that I was supposed to be content. It's that she's supposed to be content. What can I do? Notice the phrasing, like one, the scripture said it, bringing contentment, Right? I have become in his eyes like one bringing. Don't, don't keep your contentment locked up inside of you. Don't go about your day just being so content. Go about your day looking, how can I bring contentment 
by this way, even to you folks that are single, even to, do you know anybody that needs contentment? <laughs> bring it, bring it on, give it to them. Song of Solomon, verse eight, chapter eight, verse six, listen to this. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal in your arms, and beautiful. To love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Listen to this. This is a different verse. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal, that's S-E-A-L, on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Now, don't, don't get messed up with this word jealousy. Hey, you looking at my girl. Buddy, we're going out behind the barn. We're going to talk about that. You can try it. That's not what it meant. Believe it or not, look up your Hebrew. Always check me out. Everything you hear in this pulpit, go home and check me out. Always do that. Never... Don't take hook, line, and sinker. You go home and check me out. I want you to know the truth. So I want you to check it out. If I'm wrong, you come tell me. I'll correct it standing right up here. I'll correct it. You know what the word jealousy here meant? It didn't mean this lustful, craving stuff that gets, somebody gets angry because someone's looking at your wife or your husband. No, it meant ardent love in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it actually meant passionate and wholehearted. So let's read this again. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arms. For love is as strong as death and as ardent, passionate, and wholehearted, unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. I can tell you, I'm not making this up. I'm not just saying this because I'm in the pulpit of a church. My love for my wife, after 54 years of knowing each other and 52 years of marriage, is still burning in my heart. Many nights, many times, when she's working, I sit. I'm usually reading my Bible or something, studying or something, and I will literally stop and just stare at her and think about how much I love her. I do that all the time. I did it this week. I, I just stare at her because she's such a gift from God. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7. Oh, oh wow, listen to this. <laughs> Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. Now, any marriage that is based on the attractiveness of the earthly possessions, which we're going to call that the waters and the rivers, of either husband or the wife is doomed to problems, if not failure, in the marriage. You see, the water here represented the stuff and the rivers represented the stuff we let flow into our relationship. The attractions, the distractions, the stuff. And there's going to be a river. There is going to be a flow. There's going to be stuff we got to live with, we got to do. We have to live in this world. We're not of the world, but we have to live in this world. And we got to take care of a lot of things in this world. But if we're not careful, we let that stuff flow against our love. It begins to tear down that commitment, that contentment, that rejoicing, that enjoyment that we have with our spouse because we let that stuff get our attention. It takes our attention and it distracts us and it pulls us away from each other if we're not careful. And let's be honest and ask ourselves, what have we allowed to flood into our relationship? What kind of stuff? Time issues? Because we're too busy, lack of communication, lack of devotions, money, pressures. You can make your own list. Here in Proverbs 18, verse 22, it says, He who finds a wife finds what is good. And by, 
the way, he who finds a good man, you know, uh, finds a man, is, a, is good too. Don't, don't, don't feel bad, men. You're not off the list here. Who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. If I could just say something. Favor from the Lord. I, I'm going I'm to wrap it up in one word. He's going to be there. That means he's going to be upon us. God goes further in Proverbs 5.18. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice. Say rejoice. In the wife of your youth. Say youth. Youth. Now, I, I've got to say there's two ways to look at this word youth. Uh, I think it actually meant going back to the beginning when they originally got married. But I think you could make an application and be saying application. I didn't say interpretation. I think we can make an application here to infer at the same time it means that when it was that you are, that, that you start right now, wherever you are right now, you start from there. That's your youth together. That's your time together where you started. Maybe two years ago, maybe four years ago, five years ago, maybe 20 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, maybe last week. That's the youth for you. I think we can apply that. So Malachi Chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And I'm going to, in time, because of time, I'm going to read it right now. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and will because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. In other words, like they're coming to bring their offerings and the worship, but he's got an issue with them. He's wanting something more than just their offerings. <laughs> you ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your Guess what it said? Youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. I don't know what unfaithful implied then. I can imagine it had something to do with intimacy, yet it can be unfaithful in a lot of things. You know what? If I don't bring contentment, if I'm not rejoicing, if I don't guard, if I don't protect, if I don't love, if I don't tolerate, if I don't help her, if, I don't, if I'm not there for her in her life, you know what? It, it, that is a form of being unfaithful to her. You do understand that, right? That's a form of being unfaithful. If I get up tomorrow morning and I just zippity doo down, do what I want, spend what I want, go where I want, do what I want, because he's going to be working anyways, why should I hang around with you, girl? I got things I can do. And yet, the house goes unstraightened up, the dishes aren't done, the, you know, the contentment is there to help her, take some pressure off. You, you get my point? We're not a team anymore. We're, we, we live a, what we call a parallel marriage rather than a connected marriage. Parallel means two turtles in the water. You ever see them swim? They swim beside each other like that, some of them. And uh, you're not connected. So uh, then I'm, I'm not being faithful to her. I promise for better, for worse, for richer, for sickness and how. Has not the one, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Listen to this. Godly offspring. Now, why in the world do you think God is concerned about godly offspring? Isn't it about the marriage he's concerned here? Yeah. But it's about godly offspring. Now, why is that important? You ready? Because none of us would be here today but for the godly offspring before us. He can't keep the church alive. He can't keep his church alive if it wasn't for the godly offspring that raised us. That's how important it is. It's about the future as well as now. So be on your guard. Say guard. <laughs> and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So ladies, guess what? You get to go home tomorrow and your husband, or today, they're going to they're gonna clean up the kitchen for you. Isn't that nice that you cooked a meal? No? No? You're going to go out, aren't you? I, yeah, you're smart. You guys, take them out today. That way you don't have to go home clean. Does this sound like God wants your marriage to fail? No. Guard your spirit. Guard your spirit. Guard your marriage. Song of Solomon 2.15 says, Catch. Say catch. 
chance for us, the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. I call the vineyards there our marriages and our family. Our vineyards that are in bloom. So here's a marriage. They're blooming. But there are these little foxes that run around out there and are filled, if you please. And these little foxes are things that hurt and destroy the plant and the vineyard that's blooming. It tries to hurt the marriage. The things of this world tries to hurt the marriage. Some are intentionally out there to hurt marriage. Nonetheless, just natural things can hurt it. It's usually the little things that grow over time and it begins to affect the relationship. We don't feel as close as it used to. And that's why if you was to do that test, you know, the 10 things and how do they rate today? Would the number be less today than it was then when it was so powerful? And today it's just not there because you don't feel as close to the person you married. It's, it's those little things that affect us and causes us to grow apart. I, I think that taking each other for granted is one of the worst marital sins. I call it marital sins because it's, it's the sin of omission. It's not a sin that's going to send you to hell. I'm not talking about that kind of sin. Sin in the Greek in the New Testament meant missing the mark. So I, I call it a form of missing the mark. It's like one of the worst sins in marriage, if there could be one called that, would be taking each other for granted. Here are some foxes. You stop communicating like you did at first. You're not handling your financial pressure. You stop spending time together like you used to. Did you, did you know that you still were busy before you got married. You still worked and you had to do this, you had to do that. Why is it that when we get married, we let those things keep us from getting close, but we didn't let them keep us from getting close when we were dating, when we met? Why did it have to change? Why did it have to? Here's one. Less God time. Somebody asked my wife one day, I don't know if it was at the retreat, might have been at the retreat, and uh, somebody asked my wife, how, 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 have you fo- how have you guys done it? How, how have you stayed together? How have you done it? First thing out of her mouth was, God. The time we spent with God, individually and together. And you know what my answer was? <laughs> God. I have done marriage counseling for years. I've read, I could... I don't know if I could pile the books to the ceiling, but I've read a lot on marriage. I've written seven marriage manuals, six or seven marriage manuals, including the assessment tool. And uh, I think I gave you a copy of one of them, if I not recall. Don't recall. I recall. Is there recall? And I can tell you right now, I stand before you, when you're at the Christian bookstore looking for a book on marriage, I've got one for you. Go over to the Bible section and pick one up. If you don't have one, take it home and read it. It is the best, absolute best marriage manual on the market, in my opinion. See, all these things we did at first, I have a, I have a philosophy that says this for years. The things that brought us together are the things that keep us together. And I want to say something about communication. The one, and I think I've shared this before with you, but the one that we talk to the most is the one that we are the closest to. And I can tell you right now, my wife and I, we talk a lot. And we're the closest we've ever been in 52 years. We still keep getting closer and closer and closer. I'm not trying to compare. You, may, you might be able to blow our marriage away. You've got such a great marriage. I hope you do. So where do we start? As we get near the conclusion, let's go back to Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16, part B. My lover is mine and I am his. Look at this closer. It means I belong, we belong to each other. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, he talked about, you know, he, remember he starts off the chapter making it sound like be as I am and not get married. Well, at the time Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there was persecution going on in the church. And he was, all Paul is saying there, if you look, read up by the theologians, historians, they'll tell you that all Paul was saying was he wasn't against 
marriage, what he was saying was, because of the persecution, it may not be the best time for you to be worried about being burdened down with a marriage. That's what Paul was saying. He wasn't against marriage. He was okay if you didn't get married, and he wanted you to be okay if you ever got married, in that there was nothing wrong with that. If that was God's plan for your life, and you're content with that, that's fine. But he went on to say that you should never abstain from each other, but as only as a mutual consent that you might be given yourselves to prayer. So what he was saying was, if a spouse says, honey, I know you desire to have me tonight, but I'd really like to spend some time praying. I just feel a burden to be praying tonight. The husband should say, I'm with you. That's mutual consent. But then he went on to say, but don't be gone too long. Come back together so that you're not tempted, he said. So it's okay if you take a break from intimacy for a time of spirituality, growth, whatever. And it's very good to get back together again and continue on the gift from God. And uh, we all know that as we get older, the, the drive may not be as strong as when we were younger, but that's normal. I, I've got a teaching on that to help people with that, to show them how that works. The thing is, you never want to forget, it said that a wife's body is not only hers, but it's her husband, and a husband's body doesn't just bond itself, but to her, his wife. That's what Paul said. So our bodies belong to each other. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14, the last part. Oh, I think this is one of the best verses in the Bible on communication. One of the best. Listen to this. Song of Solomon, 2.14, part B. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. <laughs> That's so good. What it doesn't say, you can... You, you should say, if you want an addendum, honey, what I'm saying is, don't have your nose in the paper. Don't be watching TV. Don't be fixing the engine underneath the hood while I'm trying to talk to you. Don't be reading a book. Don't be walking away. I don't Facebook. I'm not a good Facebooker. I don't Facebook. Uh, my wife enjoys it. She learns a lot from it. We get a lot of information from it. I don't do it. Uh, I'm not, I, I, I'm a face-to-face -face person. And I just love this verse. It's the best verse on communication I can think of. Show me your face, hon. Look at me. Talk to me, eyeball to eyeball. And let me hear your voice say something to me. If this isn't one of the best verses, I don't know what to offer you. Now, it's physical, it's verbal, it's loving, and it's emotional. I look at her in the face, I tell her how I feel. In essence, look at me with your eyes. Let me hear your voice. Talk to me. Verbal communication. And when we begin to open up, our emotions engage. This could mean that we might, we might have a feisty conversation, but at least we're communicating. I would rather have a good, hot argument with my wife. One day, 35 years ago, I can never forget the day, we were having an argument over something. I can't remember. While we're arguing, we got the house straightened up together. We made the bed together. We made the bed together yelling. And we cleaned up the whole house together. And, and then when we're done, this is the God's truth. Hun, what in the world were we arguing over? We forgot. She said, hun, I have no clue. So we just gave up and we laughed. We went on our way. You know? I'm, that's an honest to God truth story. That's why I, I even got down to the years. I think it was about 35 years ago. And we were having this hot debate. And I was concerned that their neighbors were going to call the cops. I didn't know how loud we were. And we don't even know who was arguing over. But you know what? It got out. Face to face. Eyeball to eyeball. Well, we did straighten up the house while doing it. But we got it out. Isn't it better to speak the truth in love than not speak the truth at all? Isn't it better to speak the truth in love than not talk at all? 
You didn't get to know each other completely before you got married. But as you got married, you learned things about each other you didn't know. So like, oh, these become debate arguments. And it caused you to start thinking differently. But listen, just like spirituality, we didn't know a lot, but Christ didn't divorce himself from us, did he? But he loved us into change. And I think good communication loves us into change. Good communication with his word loves us into change. And just like I didn't have to know all there was about Christ to get saved, I didn't have to know all there was about Angela to marry her. I had learned a lot before, and I learned a whole lot after, and vice versa. So today, when you go home, take some time to look at each other in the face and begin to hear what each other has to say and has and fills. And whatever you do, speak the truth in love. It's all right to have a disagreement and still love each other. It really is. It really is. And I will preface with my wife, honey, I'm going to say something, and I just want you to listen. I don't want you to get upset. And I'll tell her something. And she does that. We've been doing that type of thing for years. You know why we do it? To prepare each other for what we, the, the other person may not like to hear. Our marriage is 52 years old and a half, and we're still growing together. Just like we still grow together with who? God. Amen? Amen. Amen. All righty. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today. And I appreciate this congregation who allowed me to share from my heart concerning uh, marriage and your word about it. Lord Jesus, I hope there are somebody that they know around them that they can help them with this information today. It's from your word. The word is, says what it says. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll bless and strengthen all marriages, all relationships in this church today. Even those who aren't married, I'm sure there's some principles here that can help with others that they're friends with and or help other couples they know might be in trouble that, that someone's talked to them about. Lord, I just pray that you'll continue to teach us about our relationship with you so that we continue to grow in you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you're going to do. And again, Lord, it's been great having our guests today. And we just pray you'll bless them abundantly and strengthen them and encourage them, uplift them, Lord, and send them on their way blessed, as well as the whole congregation. And we'd be careful to give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. And all God's people prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We love you.